Hey, hey, hey. I'm Michelle. And I'm Greta. We are girlfriends who have always been seekers. We love learning, sharing, and most of all, we love having those soul-to-soul moments with our girlfriends. Our podcast is about spiritual connection and sisterhood. You are not alone. So grab your glass, get comfy, and join us as we make some noise, light up the room, and get get into it. Today's a very special day. We are introducing the one, the only Jamie Griggs. Me! (laughs) (laughs) You may have heard of her a couple times on our previous podcast. I do talk about Jamie a lot. She's a big part of my life. And she's here today to talk about her profession as a fifth grade teacher. Mm, Yeah, she's got a lot of insight. And I think it'll be good for everyone to hear whether you are a teacher also or you're a parent, and she just has this great knowledge that she can share and we can learn from. Oh my gosh, my pleasure. So thank you again. You ladies are just amazing. And I just have an opportunity to talk about what I do because it's not a real glamorous job. And sometimes, you know, you're in the trenches. So just to have an opportunity to just talk about what it is I'm doing and my why, why I stick to what I'm doing. I think any teacher out there right now knows just the complexity of the job. I had never intended to become a teacher. My passion was in psychology. I have my degree in psych. But once I decided I didn't want to become that psychologist and jumped into teaching, I realized that very quickly, I wanted to recreate a classroom setting that I did not experience as that kid. I was the kid that was from a divorced family, substance abuse, verbal abuse. And I never felt like anybody in the classroom was like me. And so going in as a kindergartner, as a first grader, second grader, life was normal. Everything, I looked just like everybody else. Come third, fourth, fifth grade, that's kind of when the dynamic switched. And I was experiencing a father that was a drug addict. And there was times where there was no food on the table. My mom was going through the welfare system. Christmas gifts were coming from families that I didn't know. And I really looked around the classroom and felt like the teachers really didn't know who I was. And I didn't feel like they knew who I was and what what I was going through. A lot of times I would lie about different projects. So for instance, in third grade, I had to do a project on Paul Revere and had to do this very extensive research. And I didn't have the help at home. My dad was working and my mom was doing what she needed to do. Mind you, my parents were not together at this time. And so no one was really watching what I was doing. And you got kind of lost in the shuffle. I got kind of lost in the shuffle. And I remember just giving this huge presentation on Paul Revere and lying about the entire thing and doing the same thing over and over and over again. Just trying to skate by. Just kind of skate by. And no one was asking me like, why? Jamie, why Why are you, you know, what's going on at home? What? Are, what why are you getting the grades that you're getting? And really was going through the motions, but nobody was really noticing me. You were like invisible. I was. And I can't blame it entirely on the teacher because I didn't want to be seen. I just wanted to give this persona that I was perfect, that I was just like everybody else when 
in reality, I felt like I was like nobody else. Nobody knew what I was going through. Nobody really understood what it was like. Like I said, I was I was the bus rider. I was the free and reduced lunch kid. I was the the hand-me-down kid. And growing up in the classroom setting that I was, I just felt like everyone had it so much better than I did. And another situation was in uh, fifth grade. It was like, it was the last day of school and it happened to be my birthday, June 13th. And I remember walking out the door and my teacher going, oh, bye, Jamie, have a great summer. And I said, do you know what day it is today? And he said, it's my birthday. Now, mind you, my mom was not the room mom. She wasn't volunteering in the classroom. And because she wasn't any of those things, I also wasn't getting birthday treats. You know, everyone would have cupcakes and, you know, moms would come in and give out treats. That was not my. So I just needed someone, I guess, to acknowledge to see me. And I didn't feel like I was getting any of those types of of reactions from teachers. And like I said, it wasn't like I expected them. I'm not putting the the blame on all of the teachers because I had a role to play in that too. I definitely had the persona that I didn't want to be seen. I just kind of wanted to get through my day and just fit in. And the more I tried to fit in, the more I didn't fit in because I didn't fit the mold of what everyone else was was projecting on the outside. I remember thinking at one point, this doesn't have to be my story. This doesn't have to be my narrative. I think at 12 years old, I kind of came to the realization when I felt like everything had kind of hit rock bottom, like things could not get much worse. And at that point, my dad had, had reached the bottom of his addiction. He had lost his job at Clorox. My dad and my stepmom at that point were fighting profusely over over finances, putting food on the table. And I remember thinking, this can't be it. This can't be my life. This can't be my story. And I realized very quickly that education was going to be what saved me, that that was going to be my ticket out. So insightful at such a young age. Mm-hmm. I, and I don't know where that came from. I, I, I could tell you where I was standing. I could tell you the moment that clarity came to me. And it just something clicked. I had the privilege of joining leadership in seventh grade. And I remember Mr. Allen was our leadership teacher. And so I had kind of this, I I had peer counseling going on the side. I had this leadership class and lots of opportunities were starting to open up. And I was in a position where I felt comfortable sharing things about myself that I hadn't really shared before. And I was explaining to Mr. Allen the dynamic of my family structure. And at that point, my my dad was living in Livermore. My mom was living in, in a trailer park in Marsh Creek. And because we were coming from such long distances, sometimes things would get forgotten. Sometimes I'd leave things at my mom's house. Sometimes I'd leave things at my dad's house. So I, I appeared very scattered and I appeared to teachers like I didn't care. And it was the first time that a teacher had really given me their insight as to who they thought I was. And their perception of me was very different than the reality, which was my parents were divorced. My parents were struggling. There was all these layers that I had kind of kept secret. I mean, just think about everything that you were dealing with at that age. Mm -hmm. It's a lot more than I feel like a lot of adults could even handle. And Mm -hmm. so the fact that you as... 12, 13, we're dealing with these heavy, heavy things. Yeah. And 
having to overcome them and stay so strong during all of it. I mean, when I met you, I just, I would have assumed you had it all together. Mm-hmm. You, I think at that point had really made the decision to turn your life around. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. incredible too, that just even at a young age, 12, yeah. 13, you, you said, this is not who I am and I'm going to be this person now. Right. And your mindset shifted. You were a cheerleader and you were in leadership and you're like, life just started opening up. But meanwhile, at home, your life was a complete mess. Completely upside down. And I realized that what was what, what, what I was doing before wasn't really working. I think it's so important that you mentioned this one person who finally did see you. Yeah. And that mm-hmm. is such a special gift to have. And not that I want to jump ahead to what you're doing now in your own classroom, mm-hmm. but you have become mm. this person now outside of this desire to become a psychologist. But this one person that a kid can know sees them and what you have created for others it just takes one person. It does. It which really, is so really amazing. Does. And he took the time to listen. And I think because he had taken the time, and that kind of goes back to the kind of teacher I want to be is, again, I just didn't feel like anyone really invested any time in me. At least that was my perception of them is that they just, they were okay with me being a nothing. I was okay with me being a nothing. And how many kids out there are like that? That Absolutely. just because nobody pushes them or asks the question. They just mm-hmm. continue to go down that path. Mm-hmm. They, they don't redirect. So absolutely. It is important to have one person. And as an adult now, yeah, try to be that one person. And I know that there's that the stigma. You don't want to push them or you don't want to make them uncomfortable. But it's okay to be uncomfortable sometimes. And when you are uncomfortable, that's when you tend to grow the most. But I just really was able to almost pull the wool over my teacher's eyes and just make it look like I was just going through the motions. And Mr. Allen was like, I'm really glad that you told me this because for the longest time, I just thought you were one of those kids that just didn't care. care. And I was like, oh my gosh, so perception matters. I need to receive and to give. It's not just receive, 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 but you got to give a little bit too. I didn't know how to be that person, but I knew I wanted to be that person. You were growing into her. I was growing into her. This is something that I admire so much about you. And I tell everyone, you are someone that is continuously growing and becoming. Mm -hmm. I just find that so admirable. I respect that quality in you so much and try to learn from you with that. I mean, as long as I've known you, I have seen this transformative (laughs) quality in you. Thank you. It's it's awesome. And so few people do that. I think that's what's kind of helped me in this career too, is because I I look at it as as a day to day. If I have a bad day teaching or if things don't run as smoothly, I think, okay, tomorrow's a whole new day. I think the, the fun part about the job is that it can be a growing process. After 17 years, I finally feel like I know what the heck I'm doing because not only do you know what you're doing, you're fucking mastering it. (laughs) You and I talk all the time and the things that you are doing for these kids Mm -hmm. is it's beyond. I mean, you go above and beyond. And I can't wait to talk about all the things that you do do. But before Mm -hmm. we get into that, I do Mm want to share just kind of where we're at in society and why what you do is so well. Thank you. Crucial because I don't especially know. right now. This goes back to October of 2021. So after COVID, the American Academy of Pediatrics, the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, 
And the Children's Hospital Association issued what they called a national state of emergency in child adolescent health due to soaring rates of depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts among children and adolescents. We had to find new ways and creative ways to connect with students. Our teaching had to completely shift. So, and it was lovely because the shift turned to let's look at our social emotional and let's take a step back from the educational piece, because this is not important. And for the first time in the educational process, it wasn't about teaching. It was really about connecting. But how do you connect with students over a screen? And I really had always prided myself in connecting with students. If if I do nothing else, I will connect with students. And if I've done, if I've not done that, then I've, and I've told my students, I have failed you as a teacher. And I put that responsibility on myself because that's the kind of classroom setting I need them to experience. I love that you just said that because you were talking about as a middle schooler, you had this realization that connection was important mm-hmm. to your teacher. Yes. And now your the role has been switched. It has right. been switched yeah. uh, and I'm having to do it in a very unconventional way. Yes. And what you are doing is, you know, just it's it's so creative and it's so outside of what mm-hmm. has been the norm for so long. Mm-hmm. I was having this little moment where I was thinking all these kids who have been so used to looking at apps that allowed kids to get really creative and innovative, right? Uh-huh. And then they go back to a traditional classroom mm-hmm. and it's sit down, pen and paper, computer. And so then here you come in and you've got all this background, your personal experience, the psychology piece of what you've studied and you really understand the importance of we need to meet them mm-hmm. in this space. Yes. I would set up personal Zoom meetings for kids who just wanted to get to know me. Unfortunately, it was still on the screen, but it wasn't within like 33 little tiny boxes. And everybody's staring and at everyone's them. staring. So I set up and that was the first probably two weeks of school. And then as we got more comfortable, I would go to their houses. Whoa. This is what is so unprecedented. I mean... And it was during COVID when everyone shot a house call teacher sort of. Yes. And I was, it was so outside of my comfort because, you know, here I am trying to be very, I don't know, very neutral and not really push boundaries. But I knew that I was because here I am putting it out there like, I'm willing to come to your house. And I don't, I didn't know how people were going to receive that. And I didn't get all 33 kids to sign up, but I I would say I had about 17. And I, I scheduled out for, you know, from October till December. And I would go and, it was one of the, if I could still do that now, mm-hmm. I absolutely would. Those home visits were, were the most, I don't, I, I, I don't even know if I can put words around mm-hmm. uh, how that made the student feel and myself. So I would go and some students wanted to play the violin for me. Like I had a personal little she did a little concert, concert for me. Aww, um, sweet. I, they would have tea out for me. We'd sit on the patio and they really felt like they had my undivided attention. And a parents would send me messages. That was probably the most um, rewarding experience. No teacher has ever made the time. And for me, it was you know, 15, 20, 30 minutes. I mean, they always kind of ran over a little bit longer having that time because well and what was that message you are important enough mm. for me to take time out of my personal mm-hmm. day to come to you mm-hmm. and get to know you yeah. and your own personal environment yeah. it was neat because they would here's my dog here's my cat here's my drawings mrs griggs oh, i mean it's like a show and tell it was like a show and tell yeah absolutely and so i did that and 
So another ways that I would connect is I would draw names for kids who actually took notes and then I would buy them their special candy and I would drop it off to their houses. What made you even think to do this? I don't. We were all scrambling. Nobody knew our like head from our asses at that right? point. We're like, <laughs> what I, is happening? I think, I think what has driven and still continues to drive me is wanting to connect. It's in my classroom. I call us a family. And when I first, and I, I use that word day one. And I, yes, tell us about your, my particular, yes, my classroom today, fast forward, we're no longer in COVID. I'm not driving around giving out candy (laughs) in the beginning of the day. Like, so the first time they come into my classroom, it is a, would you like a high five handshake or hug? Because the girls always want to give hugs. The boys are always high five handshakes. And imagine, you know, we were talking about coming off of COVID. And so all of these kids have had, you know, a period of time in their life where you weren't supposed to touch anyone. You're not even supposed to be within a distance uh-huh. from somebody. So I would imagine that some of the kids coming in are having to overcome mm-hmm. some of their own fears, what's yeah. normal, what's not normal. Absolutely. And then it's like, oh my gosh, this is my teacher. What a special moment mm-hmm. to start your day off that way. They may not even have gotten a hug at home or even an acknowledgement yeah. at That's home. where my mind went. Like how many kids are needing that? Day one, we talk about family and the look on their face when I say that word family to a group of strangers. And I said, that's the thing though. Like I say this word and it's awkward and it's weird and it feels unconventional. I said, but by the time we're done, you are going to feel family because this is a place where you get to be exactly who you were meant to be. And they look at me and they don't really understand what that means. But it's like raising your hand when other people don't have their hand raised. It's reading. It's you know, when no one else wants to read. It's volunteering to come up to the board. A lot of students don't because they just don't feel like they have the connection or they feel like they they're being safe. They don't feel safe. And so putting that word family around it, it kind of gives it, it's like a nice little package of what, what to expect because you know what, what a family feels like at home, but we don't really broaden that concept into the classroom or the school setting. So we very much talk about love. I tell them almost daily, do you know how much I love you? Do you know how much I appreciate you? And a lot of times it's, yes, Mrs. Griggs, you just, you know, like, because they hear it so often. And then whenever anyone's talking in the classroom, we are big on eye contact. So the speaker has to look. And I tell them, you you demand respect. Mm. I demand respect. You demand respect. I'm a professional. I don't call them students. I call them scholars because this is your professional journey and we hold ourselves to higher expectations. So we look at each other in the eye. We, We turn and look at the speaker. A lot of collaboration. And after we've come in, after I've given them their high five handshake or hug, our attendance is, good morning, Michelle. And you would say, good morning, Mrs. Griggs. I'm having a... And that's kind of where you fill in the blank and you tell me what kind of day you're having. And I find out that one of my students was really upset because her her grandma happened to go back to India for for two months and her goldfish died. And, you know, it's not a good day. And so if she doesn't want to volunteer as much or she doesn't want that hug, I'm kind of understanding the why. And other students now understand the why and they Mm. can kind of be more compassionate towards one another. A environment that just feels safe and that would, I feel like... Just the way you're even setting up the first, I don't know, how much time is that? 20 minutes. Yeah, that's the very Mm -hmm. beginning of the day. Mm -hmm. Already, I'm just hearing, like, why would anybody be bullying anybody in that classroom setting? You have this deeper understanding and everybody's looking at each other like we're all fellow Mm -hmm. humans here. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're all in this together. Absolutely. Because- I never felt like I was seen and no one really asked me how my day was. I don't think I ever had a teacher ask me how my day was. I I never yell. 
I try to keep a very, very monotone voice. I'm always moving around the room, always kneeling down, talking to them. We depend on each other. And I tell them this all the time, like, this is where you get to be exactly who you were meant to be. And I've gotten to see students in certain situations when we do our circle time, really let loose and be exactly who they were meant to be in a space that allows them to be that. Well, I love how you're infusing so many life skills yeah. I do. within like that. Mm-hmm. the day. So mm-hmm. again, like outside of the academic portion mm-hmm. of it, outside of the emotional social, it's like, mm-hmm. these are some basic life skills, like the, you know, looking somebody in the yeah. eye, mm-hmm. um, these sort of containers, these safe containers of trust. Mm-hmm. So you're you're teaching them how to be like, good supportive friends mm-hmm. and listeners and leaders mm-hmm. um this is so powerful actually yeah. values and life skills mm-hmm. and not everybody you know we might take it for granted that everybody's getting that at home and they may not be and so i really teach them the difference between being a leader and being a boss and i use personal experiences so my fir- like first week of school i talk about if I wanted Mr. Griggs to take out the garbage, do I say, Mr. Griggs, you forgot to take out the garbage. You need to take out the garbage. Versus sounds like me talking to my son. Right? <laughs> no, I'm oh, right? I might need, I need a, to learn some something help from Jamie. <laughs> no. <laughs> we need a little lesson. No. No, because it, it is funny because versus, hey, you know, I noticed that you didn't take out the garbage and and I really don't feel like you're appreciating but again, me when you take these are communication skills that and a lot of people don't always get that at home. No. And so you're providing them with all of this so that they can go home into their own environment and it's allowing them to have practice. So yes. maybe they are getting some of this at home, but then in the classroom, they actually get to practice this yes. as well. And we talk about point of view. And so that becomes part of our standard too. Like you're now, this person's bumping into your chair and your point of view is they're doing it on purpose and they're trying to bother you versus I'm unaware that I'm bumping you. So understanding point of view, understanding where we're all coming from, being a leader versus a boss. What kind of response do you want to get from that person? You're creating good little wives and husbands at I the know. same time, you know? Well, and the partners. in the workplace, <laughs> it'll it'll just add so much value to their lives throughout their entire life. Well, like, yeah. Communication skills are huge. People spend a lot of money in therapy trying right? to learn how to talk to people. Right? And, and I do try to be the driving force of that and making sure that we're all being very open and communicative. We're having fun and we're creating this environment and I want to enjoy coming to school and I want to enjoy being with you. I try to break down our day. So I have the schedule up and I'm like, okay, guys, I need you to work for me for like two 45 minute chunks. And so if you need a break, you got to let me know. If you need something, you need to speak up. You have to be the voice in this classroom. I love the level of respect. There's mutual respect. Oh, mutual respect. A hundred percent. And you're not this hierarchy. No, you're empowering them to Mm -hmm. stand up and talk about their needs. Understanding like when we feel a certain way, we can't stay in that feeling and learning how to move through it. So um, we do do brain breaks. So sometimes I exercise with them and I do the exercises with them. Sometimes they want to go out and take walks and we do, we walk and we do things that fill ourselves and we have to figure out how to regulate our own emotions. And if we can't do that now, then that's a skill that will be lost. And I think you go off of 
you're not necessarily so locked into a schedule. It sounds like mm-hmm. you really pay attention to where the kids are at and what they need at that time. And I think that's so important coming off of mm-hmm. COVID yeah. where kids are still adapting. Well, and that brings me to another point. We had two years of funding where you know, we had intervention and we had AIDS and we had a small group support. And the, the intervention was amazing to kind of bridge the gap between what was happening during COVID and getting back into the classroom. Now we're two years out of it, but we're not out of it. But yet that funding is running out. Yeah, we're definitely not out of it. According to NPR.org, teachers across the country are seeing elevated levels of stress, anxiety, and other behavioral issues still. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're overwhelmed with K through 12 students struggling with mental health problems, Mm -hmm. kids acting out violently, having trouble with their emotions. Even against those in authority, teachers and staff are being assaulted by students. Mm -hmm. So we're not out of the woods at all. So I think it's so crucial that teachers like you are focusing on the emotional, but it does take a lot out of you. I mean, it takes time away from your family. Mm -hmm. You are going above and beyond. You're doing extra. You're putting hours into this. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And I know you wouldn't have it any other way because you really do love these kids. But we do need more support for the teachers. It's crazy how as soon as funding was cut, we lose counselors. It's like we need counselors above all. Who decides this? To take counselors away from school? Trying to maintain the social and emotional in the classroom with the resources that we have. It's time away from the curriculum and time away from our schedule. All of it. All of it. More anxiety and Mm -hmm. uneasiness from the kid. And it's all valuable. There's not a teacher out there that's saying this isn't valuable, but it's like, how am I going to fit it in? How am I I going to fit it all in a day? Yeah. And then go home and be a mom and a yeah. wife and, a, and get my own self-care. Yeah. Right? And, and to feel like the lessons that we're doing, I feel like I can get it all in, but something has to give. Something has to give. The administration is pushing one thing. Yes. As a teacher oh, you're in going, the trenches. Yes. How? We're seeing these kids barely hanging on yeah. some days. I mean, I've got a girlfriend and she teaches fourth grade and she's like, Jamie, I'm teaching my kids how to share Legos. They're fourth grade. And it's because where they were in COVID, now they don't know how to share. They didn't learn that social they, skill. They don't have the social skill. They were skills. at home mm-hmm. on a little computer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's like, I'm literally teaching them how to share. And yet I have to get through this standard. And I have to get through this standard. And I need, I have to teach the social and emotional lessons. Last year, not so much this year, but last year, this, the, the amount of bullying and the amount of um, problems surrounding social media accounts was astronomical. We had to have numerous conversations with students. I told my class, your phone is a tool and you're using it as a weapon by sending out messages. And this year I would I would say it's it's better. It's still not great, but last year was a doozy. Um, I, and for whatever reason, I don't know if it was just in our, our particular school site or our district, but the inappropriate noises that boys were making, um, I, I would say like, my boys are making these real weird grunting noises. And my other colleagues, yeah, mine are too. And, and hmm. just, it was a very weird 
weird time where I'm like, what are we, what kind of, what, what, what are we doing here? So having younger children of my own, really middle school mm-hmm. age, um, and then high school, I remember them coming home and talking about all this. And really, oh yeah, and I think so many of these ideas are uh-huh. coming off of TikTok trends. And, yes, and so there's so much information coming at these kids all day long, whether it's in school, whether it's on their phone, mm-hmm. and they don't know where the boundaries or the limitations mm-hmm. are. Everything's just accessible all the time. Yeah. I think what's happening, and I'm speaking to this from a hypnotherapy perspective, mm-hmm. because I have worked with a lot of children mm-hmm. who have experienced the bullying and all the different things that have been going on, and their minds are so overloaded mm-hmm. that they're not even consciously thinking like, oh, if I make these noises or if I go up and push this person, in their minds, it's not like, oh, that's wrong. They're just moving in autopilot. Right. There is no cause and effect anymore. It's like they're just sitting in a state of hypnosis all day long, getting yeah. flooded with info. Mm-hmm. So to actually pause yeah. and say, is this right or not? Mm-hmm. They're just acting. And so going back to a lot of what you were talking about, Greta, and some of the statistics and mm-hmm. things that are being highlighted right now, and this is where it's so tough because now they're sitting in your classroom. Mm-hmm. And so as a teacher, you're trying to figure out how to keep those connections going. But then mm-hmm. you guys are like behavioral therapists as well. Yes. And that's what we were discussing earlier um, this month with some colleagues. As, as teachers in our district, we're saying we need we need help. We need resources. Um, we need more time. We need to scale things back because you're asking so much of us. And I think their fix is, oh, we'll just get you some training on behavior management. Which one more thing though one that you more have thing. to learn yeah. and do on your yeah. own time. You just can only do so much. Yeah, and then you want high test scores. It's like, and you want high what test do you, scores. What do you want? Yeah. Yeah, so I, know. I have a question just as a parent. What are some of the things that parents can do to mm-hmm. support the teachers or to even facilitate change? Absolutely. I think it's so important. Every district has board meetings and they are open to the public and anyone can attend them. So going to those board meetings, writing letters, we're really concerned that because of the, the funding that's running out, we had um, small group interventions three times during their academic day and that's going away. I mean, at least for upper grades. I've got kids who still read at a second grade level um, who don't have the fundamental phonics um, skills that they need to be successful readers. Um, So there's definitely a gap. Vote those people in that are going to make those 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 changes. I have lots of things to complain about, but I don't go to these board meetings. Right? I know. And so many... So many parents don't. That's super helpful because mm-hmm. just like you, Greta, I think there's a lot of times where I get fired up and I'm super passionate about yeah. this and then I just let it fizzle away, well, right? And caught up in the busyness of yeah. our own lives, right? Absolutely. And I know what I'm doing at home in terms of what I'm teaching my own children, mm-hmm. but I do think that there are a lot of parents out there that really don't even think about these things. Mm-hmm. I just send my kid to school, look at it like, oh, okay, great. They're in school all day. They're learning. But after hearing all the mm-hmm. things that you're saying, Mrs. Griggs, <laughs> this is really valuable. And this is information that will get people to think a little more about that we are powerful enough to make some changes. Absolutely. And to hear it firsthand from a loving, caring teacher that's investing so much into her classroom mm-hmm. and into every single child that's sitting there 
to me, I value your opinion and I value mm-hmm. these things that you're telling me can actually make a difference. It really can. We all know how fast school moves on. Mm-hmm. So once I've hit that standard, it's time to move on whether I want to or not because I have a pacing guide to follow. So it allows them time to pause well, and allow them because we all learn at a different pace, exactly. right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say, mm-hmm. I mean... I know the way the public education yeah. system is set up, yeah. it really is a box. And if it you is. don't fit into it, you it can is. easily get left behind. Yeah. So intervention is so critical. It is so critical. Sometimes they just need a little bit of extra yep. time. And we we focus our intervention on, you know, K through second, really, because, and I get it, because that's where the fundamentals, you're getting your phonics, your fluency, you know, your comprehension. And by third, fourth, fifth, the cement is starting to dry. But it doesn't mean that it's completely a waste of time. I mean, these kids are really gathering and gaining essential standards that they need. And again, that just made me go back to just how you've created this safe space for kids to even feel like they can ask for help. And their first thought is not, I'm stupid. I don't know how to do this. I can't do anything. Yeah. Ask for help. Yeah. And I tell them all the time, like there's so many different aspects of math. And just because I'm having you go to intervention for dividing doesn't mean you're not great at the other parts of math. It's just we need to fine tune those. And a lot of times it's, it's getting them to utilize tools. And just the language to have to identify these things is so important. Absolutely. And I always talk about my fifth grade self. If my fifth grade self were standing here, they would say this. And so my students very much are present in my why. They know that I didn't connect with teachers. They know that I didn't like school. They know that I didn't get good grades. Because you're not up on this high no. school. And I think I always looked at my teachers. Sure. Like exactly. And I tell them all the time, I didn't like math. I thought I was really bad at math. I'd given a math assessment and they didn't do well. When you enter in all the scores, it gives you this beautiful pie chart. <laughs> and my pie chart had a little bit more red than I was comfortable with. <laughs> so I thought, well, let's look at this again. And as I was talking about this and, and prefacing that how unimportant the t- assessment was, I saw a student going through the questions and you could just see that the immense amount of stress that she felt. And all of a sudden I see the tears rolling down her face. I knew very quickly that she's getting the mixed messages from me. You're telling me this is unimportant, but yet you're giving it to me again and you're asking me to fix something that I can't fix. And I thought, oh shit, I just, I really blew it. And so I paused and I said, okay, guys, I said, put, put the test up. And they are looking at me and they're like, why is she making us put our test up? I said, I want you to take all the frustration and all the anger and all the things you're feeling. And I want you to crumple that test and I want you to crumple it into a ball. And I said, now it's in your hand, right? And I said, now throw it at a friend. And they looked at me and they're like, really? I'm like, yes, throw it in. Because I said, at the end of the day, that five question quiz isn't going to make or break your report card. And this is what sets you apart. (laughs) God, I just want more teachers out there in the world. And I'm sure there are some amazing teachers out there that have some of the same philosophy. I'm sure. uh, Yes. I do think it's easy to just in with motherhood or any kind of you get caught caught up up in the day to day, Mm -hmm. caught up in the to do list. Mm -hmm. And I love that you have something in you that you just check in with yourself yeah. on a regular basis. And mm-hmm. when things just don't feel right, like, you honor that instead yes, of, yes. I got to get this done. I got to get that done. You yeah. you check in. Yeah. Creating the classroom I never had. So that's always in the forefront of that's like- always your why. When I walk in that door, how am I going to make it better than the day before? How can I make it fun? And there's times where I've got the schedule and I'm like, what do you guys think of the schedule? Like, oh, same old, same old. I'm like, okay, let's flip it around. What do you want to do? They're like, well, I think I want to do math first 
and get that out of the way. I'm like, sweet, let's get math out of the way. I race this, I race the schedule. And we just, I said, unfortunately, there are some things that are just locked in and I don't have control over guys. These three things we can't move. And I tell them, do you want me to lose my job? And they're like, no. (laughs) I'm like, okay, so this has got to stay. And so giving them control, Mm -hmm. giving them, giving them a voice. um, It's empowering. I keep going back to this word Mm -hmm. of like, you are creating these empowered little beings to know that their opinions matter, Mm -hmm. that there's flexibility in the world. Flexibility, yes. Everything is super rigid and set in stone. They can speak up Mm -hmm. for who they are. So I guess um, after, you know, all of this amazing talk, if you were to really sum up your why Mm -hmm. in a very short sentence or explanation, what would that be? What's your why? What do I? My why is creating an environment in a classroom that you are seen, you are felt, and you are heard to some capacity. And I think the greeting I do in the morning that speaks to them. And sometimes I have a really rushed morning and I say, okay, guys, we do a fast attendance or do you want the traditional one? And nine times out of the 10, they're like, we just want you to say good morning to us. And so then I have to go, okay, then I I see you and I hear you, but that just means we may not have time to go over the homework or I may not have time to go as in-depth. Flexibility. Flexibility. So really just asking them, because sometimes I feel the stress and I feel the crunch of of my day, but checking in to make sure that I'm meeting their needs before I'm meeting the needs of a schedule. It's so surprising to me and maybe some of our listeners too, just like how much these fifth graders need still. They're still little. They do. And they're they're about to embark on this whole other world. And I tell them that all the, the time. Look around at you. Middle school. Look around. <laughs> and I said, embrace it. And I yeah. try to make them connect. And I understand because it's like they're in their fifth grade mind. So they're like moving on to the next thing. And some of them are ready. And I get that. Um, but I, I when passing out Valentine's, guys, stop, pause, look around. Everyone has their bag. Everyone has their like little treats. Because this is going away very soon. Mm. <laughs> this isn't moment. always going to be here. Mm. Take it in. Moment. Feel it. Embrace it. Own it. And so... Um, we all need to do that. We more. do. We do. And so... And I didn't even tap into my circle time. That's another part of my well, day. Just- I've done it for years. I've asked my students, and this is their favorite part of our, our classroom. And it's all on different topics. I've done questions like, is it more important to fit in or to feel like you belong? I've done ones on integrity. Um, we do shout outs. And so I've done circles on loss and grief, which wow. was an intense topic, but worthy. And part of everyday life. Maybe not everybody's experience. Sure. And understanding what loss looks like. Moving to a different school is, is loss. Mm-hmm. Losing a best friend to them moving away. Losing a parent, which prompted the, the conversation for um, loss. So we really connect. And, and there's times where I'm like, guys, I just, I can't fit everything in. Tomorrow's a short day. So I'm like, these are the things. What are our musts that we need? And they're like, we need our circle time, Mrs. Griggs. Well, Jamie, you are doing just remarkable work for our children. And I think that there's just no amount of appreciation, really. I mean, you're spending more time with these kids probably than their own parents. And mm-hmm. what a blessing just to have you in their lives, to teach these children these life lessons that they're going to carry with them. These kids are going to be talking about Mrs. Griggs for many, many years. Oh, thank you. I tell them all the time, my relationship doesn't 
And when you walk out that door, I talk about you to my family. I think about you. I think about how I'm going to make my lessons better. You are part of my everyday life and you are part of my extended family because I need them to know it's not just surface. I really, truly, genuinely want them to believe that I care about them. Well, and I know I'm going to be talking about Mrs. Greggs to many people. <laughs> and I'm sure after hearing this podcast, our listeners are going to be talking about Mrs. Greggs to yeah. many people. And well, I think you. you can be very inspiring Absolutely. to others well, out there. You. as well. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. If you liked what you heard and were your girls, please share and add a review on iTunes so we can continue to grow our circle. You can also find us on Instagram and TikTok at That's My Girl Podcast.